Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my True Believer stories that have collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. Everything is great here. On my little micro farm as you all know um today i have a super interesting cast and um of course you know that usually has to do something with ghost hunting because even though there's a lot of things in the paranormal under the umbrella of the paranormal uh ghost hunting um <clears throat> for those people that are active in the field that like i said i always like to hear about the different stories uh different experiences um from the people out there because all these different uh, investigators have their own stories, their own approaches, their own experiences, their own after effects. Because you know, I've talked a lot about sometimes, uh, sometimes getting into this field is just not strictly going out there and doing uh, an investigation. Once you're in it for a bit, you sometimes it, it kind of, um, seeps into the rest of your life which is you know well i've talked about boundaries but anyway let me tell you about today's guest and his name is rich newman now he's worked in video game and film production for over 10 years he's the author of seven books and he's the producer director of two feature films um at the at the end i'm gonna we're gonna mention again his websites and i'll have him on the and the credits of the show, but his production website is elsinoreproductions.com, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, paranormalincorporated.com. And right now, as a matter of fact, I just confirmed with him, he is working on a new book that is yet to be released, but should be released very soon, which is titled The Disembodied. Uh, and we're going to ask him about that. But anyway, let's bring him on. How are you doing today, Rich? Great. How are you doing? Great. Fantastic. Now, I'm going to ask you, all my audience knows that I always ask my guests this. How did you get involved in the paranormal? Childhood experience, something you did as an adult. How did that come about? Well, I definitely was one of those people, you know, that 
had to go out and test all the local urban legends growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the big one that we had was, was I grew up in outside of Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Okay. And the big tale that went around through school was called uh, the cemetery that would have this thing called green eyes. Ooh. And you were supposed to go into the cemetery and this certain tombstone would have this apparition with green eyes that would rise up out of it. And um, so everybody would come from, you know, 100 miles away to go into the cemetery and sit at night. I'm sure this drove the caretaker crazy. Everyone out there looking for these uh, green eyes. (laughs) It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I was definitely one of those guys, you know, watching, you know, the show's sightings and unexplained and Mm -hmm. testing out the urban legends and all that stuff for sure. And, um, so what happened? This is what, and I know, you know what? I've heard a lot of people do that. They, they do like either on a lark or legend tripping and then they get hooked on it. Is that how it worked for you? Or did you have an actual experience? Yeah, well, I've, I've had an actual experience when I was a child. I had one of the houses that I lived in had a ghost that just loved to open one particular door in the house. Really? And it's the most boring ghost story ever because you would just, you know, people would come over and I tell them, you know, well, that door over there, you know, it, it will open by itself. And they'll be like, oh, no, 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 you know. And they'd go over and they'd test it and make sure the door was completely closed, you know, jiggle the handle, all that stuff. And then you'd be sitting there watching TV and you'd hear the doorknob actually turn because it had kind of a creaky knob, you know. Right. You'd hear this kind of a clink, 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 and then the door would swing open. But the ghost never did anything else. It was just this really boring ghost and it's like most boring ghost story to tell people but that was definitely something i would say that you know that piqued my interest in wanting to figure out so it was just you know, it was that on one door thing. but it was the actual turning of the doorknob which is interesting okay you, yeah you would actually see the doorknob turn yeah and what what was what was the what one room what led to the other was like this like a a well-used area of the house or what from what room to the other room did it go to well, this was like a really small house, and I had a large family. And okay. so my bedroom actually became, was before, I think, was the formal dining room okay. of all things. And mm-hmm. so this would have been, back in the day, like a dining room pantry slash closet, uh, okay. you know, like in about the 20s and 30s. So this was like a 1920s, 30s house. Okay. And, um, yeah, and so it became my bedroom closet. And so, you know... It, it was really interesting to me. The ghost would kind of mess with you about it, too, though, because you could sit up and wait for it, and nothing would happen, and you think, okay. And then as soon as you would turn off the light and get into bed, the door would open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I guess, though, after a while. How long were you living there? Were you there for a while? Oh, I was there about five or six years, yeah. And I guess after a while, didn't it kind of fade away, like, because that's as bad as it got? Uh, or That's it. Yeah, I always wait. Yeah, I always waited for something else to happen. You know, I always thought, you know, maybe maybe I'll see something one night. I'll wake up, someone be standing here, or I hear a voice, or you know. But nothing. I got so used to it. You know, I would have friends come over and spend the night, and I would say, oh yeah, the the you know the in passing, I would just say, you know, the, the closet's haunted. So if it opens by itself, don't pay any attention to it. Right, because you're you're, like you're thinking crazy. any minute now they're gonna wig out on me, thinking, hey man, you're... <laughs> somebody's coming in, but nobody's there. <laughs> Exactly. But that's a great story, though, because you know what? Everybody thinks that good ghost stories have to be something really horrific. And sometimes these stories, I think like what you just told right now, are great. 
because you know sometimes ghosts are that's all they are that one thing you know uh <laughs> it doesn't have to be over the top or you know with breathing on my face while i was sleeping or nothing like that uh but it's there you know it's and like you said uh almost like because i even want to say it's a residual but then you're telling me when you're waiting for it it doesn't happen which leads me to believe maybe right. there was some type of maybe intelligence behind it because otherwise it would just happen forget it whether you're waiting for it or not that's a great story though um and it, and it makes you think you know in that in that little area of the pantry and the thing you could see where maybe there was some type of significance because i tell everybody sometimes you know everybody thinks you know and, and i'm talking here residential hauntings uh i say you know once upon a time uh the kitchen dining room area especially the kitchen or the area of cooking this is the place where a lot of activity would take place besides the cooking you know a lot of families would congregate sometimes in the kitchen things would things take place in kitchens uh, versus sometimes when you know you think of the spooky bedrooms or things like that uh sometimes the center of activity in a house would be in one particular area like that so that's very interesting so what happened? You went to the cemetery looking for old green eyes, and then did you find it? And nothing happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which was, which you know, is a great thing to have happen when you're when you're young because, you know, it's when you start figuring out. Oh well, it goes beyond urban legends and stories, and sometimes you know, digging deep into the history behind things and learning more about a location and and spending more time doing you know, actual ghost hunting rather than, you know, sort of like you said, legend tripping all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was great to learn that quick because that made me get it. Like I said, watch shows like Unexplained and Sightings and right. learn about, you know, great haunted places. And growing up in Missouri, you know, we had some, you know, some doozies, you know, and the Limp Mansion was, you know, not that far away. We would okay. go up and, you know, you know, save up our money and go and stay at the Limp Mansion and, things like, you know, do things like that. And Crescent Hotel is south of there, you know, and that's a great spot. And so, yeah, so and in, in Memphis, where I am now, too, is a great central location for all these as well. Yeah, and sometimes people are not aware historically of the location of some of these places. Um, I think close to the Lemp Munchen, they, they used to, and I don't know if it's still standing, uh, but they had uh, an insane asylum there and a hospital across the street that they built like around the, you know, post-Civil War era. Uh, and I don't know if they're standing, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these buildings, you know, they demolished them or things like that. But it was like one across the street from the other. And I was always thinking, man, I would love to go investigate this. You've got an insane asylum across the street from a hospital. Of all places, this was, um, I want to say, God, I, I want to say it was post-Civil War and back in st louis they had such uh they had a lot of prostitution or brothels how's that you know not the street walker things but you know these mansions where sure. you know and um the do-gooders trying to do good put up a hospital just for women mostly trying to entice these women to come in and get medical checkups and uh, of course this was you know the government was paying for it the problem turned out that if you were uh, a prostitute and you went into one of these, this one hospital and you had some type of disease, they wouldn't let you out until you were cured. So guess what? After a few months, the program kind of fell apart because once it got out that, hey, once you go in there to get treatment, they don't let you out. They don't release you 
until you're cured. And, that, and then oh it God. just, right. And then it just turned into like a regular hospital, uh, you know, but of course, you know, back then they would build these, these huge buildings and I don't know if it's, it's still standing or not, but it's, it was very close to that area of uh, the older area of where the Lent mansion is located. But uh, yeah, it was one of those places I was like, man, these walls could talk if they're still standing. But let me ask you, also Missouri, aren't there some caves that are also said to be haunted? Or am I wrong? Um, well, there's, I mean, actually, Limp Mansion is associated with caves that run under the mansion that they would store beer in. Right, and right. That they had, they, yeah. Very that, limited access to those, yeah. I heard that, and, and uh, well, that's a very tragic family. Uh, they had a lot of things going on, but I've heard, and I don't know why every place that has uh, either caves or basements or stuff, they have really, really dark hauntings. Uh and but that family in and of itself, I mean, despite all their money and everything, their fortune, they were they seem to have been a very unlucky family when it came to like happiness anyway. Um, did you uh, did you ever get a chance to investigate the Lump Mansion at all or no? I did. I've been up there quite a few times and man, that's that's a place where you never you never know what's gonna happen. You can have one evening that's just, you know, mellow nothing happening not a single you know single thing going on and then the next just crazy stuff voices right you know talking out of thin air really? beside you doors opening closing things being moved around uh just crazy stuff to me as a great example for the last three years i've been shooting off and on with a television show from japan okay that's produced by fuji tv and we went up there and did an episode at limp mansion Okay. And we're sitting there in the room monitoring this, you know, the second room where a guy is sleeping, you know, to see if something's going to happen to him. And this guy, he's so tired because, you know, he's waxed out because he's flown all the way from Japan. Right. So he hit the bed and, you know, boom, he's out. And we see this perfect ball of light, like a floating, not, not, not an orb, okay. an actual glowing ball of light. A door open and a ball of light comes into the room, hovers there in the doorway, and then goes back out into the hall. Wow! Almost like checking him out. And we're well. You know, my first my first instinct was really practical, and I thought, I really hope that's not somebody who just came in the mansion and he's got a flashlight. You know, because <laughs> that's not a great part of town, and break-ins right. and things happen. So we actually all went running into the hall outside this guy's door just to make sure there wasn't a guy out there because the light was so bright. Right. You know how when you shine a flashlight into yes. infrared camera, it kind of blanks it out? Yes. And uh, nothing was there. No, it was just a just a perfect ghost light floating in the room, looking around and leaving on camera. Wow. Wow. And he had no idea. He didn't feel anything, nothing. He slept through everything. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? It wouldn't be the first time. I, you know, especially when you have a place that has intelligent hauntings where they come in to check out the new person. Like, who is this? Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, oh, why my not? Goodness. That, that, I, I've heard it, of that. It, I've heard of that. That they have that sentience. In other words, that they, you know how sometimes they, you know, they, they have some hauntings where, the discarnate is totally unaware you know they're not doing their thing and they have mm -hmm. little or no interaction with any living person there and then there's others that are totally aware of who and what's going on including when somebody new uh 
especially is sleeping there <laughs> because they've made it is it's there's a restaurant what is it at the on the premises and then they have a hotel as part of the building as well yeah they have like a little restaurant downstairs and like a little like a lounge mm-hmm. you can you can go down yeah and let me ask you but do they think i would tell you i'm sorry go ahead go ahead Oh, I was going to say, well, well, go ahead and ask me the question about this, because I have a really funny one I'll tell you about. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Oh, did you have... Oh, well, you no, no, that I was going to ask you, but I'll ask you after the story. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, well, one of the other shows that we that we did for the Japanese show was um, at the Crescent Hotel. Okay. And this this one was hilarious, because I've never seen a ghost get frustrated <laughs> with trying to do stuff. And I believe that's that exactly what we saw that night because we had this poor guy come in from Japan and they're always so tired when they get here to the States okay. from the jet lag and the 18-hour yeah. flight. So this guy goes straight into his room, crawls in the bed, crashes out. Well, the ghost in the room does not want him to be there. And so the first thing the ghost does is it clicks on a floor lamp in the room. Oh. Well, the guy's so tired, he doesn't even react to it. So a few minutes later, you know, we're all freaking out because we're watching the camera. Like, that light just turned on by itself. Okay. And then a few seconds later, that light turns back off. So we think, okay. And then right beside the bed where the guy is sleeping on his bedside little nightstand, it turns a lamp on right in the guy's face, oh. and the guy doesn't react. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay. So then, we what do I need to do with this guy? So Hit with a two-by-four? I know. So then the ghost opens the closet door beside the bed. You actually see the doorknob turn and the closet door just swing wide open. And the guy doesn't react. <laughs> so, then, that's a good so then the ghost clicks off the lamp that's next to the bed now. And he still doesn't wake up and then nothing else happens. I just imagine in my head the ghost storming out of the room like, that, That's it! I'm done! Somebody might you know what? I think that's a great story because it, it does. It's like almost like I said, like somebody, they're, they're aware and they're, you know, they're not on their parallel universe kind of thing doing what. No, they're they're aware and they interact and they're, like he said, he's up, upping the ante, waiting for this person to wake up and run out of the room. And it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, but Chet Lag has got, you know, won the day on this. <laughs> That is such a great story. <laughs> that was funny. Do you have any any idea who the ghost was that was doing that? Oh my goodness, I'm trying to think of the name because there's two there's two rooms that are kind of famous mm-hmm. um, at the Crescent Hotel, and there's of course the famous the, the the big one is they call it Michael's room, and that's the room that everyone usually tries to rent. Okay. And it's, the tale goes when they were building the hotel and renovated, Michael fell about three stories through because the floors weren't put back in yet when they were wow. remodeling. Wow. So he fell about four stories and then broke his neck. And so they think he haunts this room. But then there's another room, and I, I don't want to... And she was a nurse during the period when the uh, Crescent Hotel was actually a cancer hospital. Okay. That was It was a fraudulent cancer hospital. Right, right. Telling people he could cure their cancer. And right. they weren't. They were being hauled out the back when they died. Is this well, because they have the, the mineral, the, 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 the water there also, right, was part of the cure? Is that, am I correct? Um, I mean, there was... Right, that's there it. Was... Yep. Eureka Springs. They right. got the natural... That's right. So he was luring people uh, in so there. The no. 
Yeah, I think it's name was like Theodora or something. If you stay in Theodora's room, that mm-hmm. would be the room. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a really active room, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know what? And even then, you think, I'm sure there's a, even probably some hangers-on that haven't been identified that maybe are a little bit on the shy side. So can you imagine you're going to this place hoping that you know your life is going to be spared? Or, you know, you've placed all your hopes on this doctor who's promised that you're going to be able to live and then it turns out you don't. And then to add insult to injury, like you said, he's making it, like you said, pulling the bodies out the back so nobody's aware that this person's uh, died, you know. I'm sure you exactly. I'm sure you've got some people there running and, and, around and in the background. And what a miserable time they would have had too, just with the pain and suffering and well, yeah. the amount of just yeah, all of that that went on in that building. Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you get the ones that are known or just have been more easily identified. But every once in a while, in the background, you've got a few who are there. They're just more in the background. But it's in a setting like that, especially well, hotels in and of themselves, you get a lot of crazy stuff. But but that thing where you had people that were being brought there, promised, you know, you were going to cure you, and you know, then it turns out, you know, on the contrary, uh, yeah, definitely, I'm sure there's somebody there running around. There. Let me ask you in the Lemp Mansion because every that's another thing. Do you think the Lemp Mansion, it's just the family, the suicides that are haunting there, or is there any other? Uh, personality that's attached to that place because I mean they kind of and the reason why I ask this is that it makes you think what came first the chicken or the egg was this just an unfortunate family or was there something wrong with this place this house that brought these things about you know like did they just move into like build the house on the wrong spot kind of deal you know I think that that's one of the sort of theories that some of the local St. Louis uh, writers and things have put out there that the uh, local Indian tribes, because they, they use those caves and everything there mm-hmm. as sort of their home base. And okay. so it's been sort of surmised that maybe there was, you know, I hate to use the old Indian burial ground kind of thing, but right. it, it kind of was because these cave systems there were kind of the homes and where they would bury the, the people who died and they would right. have their all their ceremonies there, everything, all the religious ceremonies. And then here comes, you know, the Limp family, and they build their house right over the case because they want to use those things to store beer. Yeah, they're thinking like uh, beer meisters. Uh, yeah, they're... Right, yeah. And that's actually what drove them to the suicide because when Prohibition happened, mm-hmm. you know, they decided they were going to try to go with the, uh, their version of near beer uh, at the time, mm-hmm. and it just did not sell well, and they went bankrupt. And the people who were sort of used to living high on the hog yeah. You know, they started killing themselves at one after another. Right. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that. I mean, you even hear about when, you know, when they had the, um, in 1929, that the, you know, the big giant, you know, that set off the depression, you know, the crash, the, the crash on Wall Street, that there were supposedly businessmen jumping off of, um, you know, off the buildings. But still, this family, though, they kind of like really had a very sad history throughout it, like, it went beyond that. Uh, so that's why I, you always wonder, was it... Yeah, because in other words, that happened to... I mean, other, were there other businessmen that, that got affected depending on what they did? But this whole family seemed to, like, just be under a dark cloud. 
Um, so let me ask you, uh, as far as have you done any uh, investigations in Memphis where you're at? Uh, well, yes. There's actually a really popular um, Victorian home called the Woodruff Fontaine House. Okay. Um, that is a nonprofit, like living museum kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have gone there several times investigating the ghost of their most popular ghost, of a woman named Molly Fontaine. And you can actually go in, anyone who would want to tour this place, you can take an audio recorder, a camera, and go on a all up the ghost spots and everything and it's it's fantastic and we have we've had a few interesting audio recordings come out of there and you know heard people would give some pretty good experiences uh there's an entire stretch in memphis that they call victorian village and every house there is this nice giant victorian gothy looking you know house and okay. all of them have these old Memphis stories, you know, of southern tragedies and death and things that okay. happened during the Yellow Fever and all right. these, you know, when the Civil War came through, all these different stories. And yeah, they all have such great ghost stories. And a local girl here named Laura Cunningham actually wrote a book called Haunted Memphis that details a lot of these. But, yeah, every place has this, these fantastic and, – and they're those southern ghost stories, you know, the good right. gothic evil. Let me ask you because you wrote a book called Devil in the Delta, okay? Yes. Um, and is that about a particular house or or a family or what? What is that book about? Yeah, it, it was actually it's a it's a case that I got um, mm-hmm. a private case that was down in the Delta of Mississippi. Okay. And it was a woman who had she had pulled her she had bought a double wide trailer and dropped it on her family's land. Okay. And no sooner had they kind of moved in than all these bizarre things started happening. And she became convinced that there that there was a demon in the place, okay. that there was a demon that haunted the land. And it was such a bizarre period of my life to work on this case because there was more going on in this family than meets the eye. One of them was strung out on drugs. Uh, okay. There was weird, these shady characters that would come around. A lot of things going on with drugs, to be quite frank. Yeah. Um, a lot of just uh, people kind of who wanted to be known because of having a haunted place, mm-hmm. and they were kind of promoting it in a weird way. Right. And you would be just ready to write the whole story off, and you'd go there, and then something just unexplained crazy would happen in the place. Like once I was in a room, and I said, is anyone here? And the entire trailer, not just the place I was sitting on, the the entire trailer shook, rumbled. And I have it on audio. I actually have an audio recording of it. I I put it on the website. In the book, it references a page you can go to to hear a lot of the clips and things that I got when when I was working there. But I mainly wrote The Devil in the Delta because I wanted it to be a cautionary tale for people who think that ghost hunting is all fun and games. I love it. Go that ahead. there's no, yeah. I, I I'm, t- I'm, tell, talk about that because I've, I've spoken about it other times as I've been doing it for so long, and everybody sometimes gets carried away with the reality TV version of it and doesn't realize that there's sometimes a very dark side to this type of work. Yeah, well, and and I mean the big thing here though is anytime you know when people tell me they want to ghost hunt, I say, are you wanting to do it for fun? And mm-hmm. then they say yes. And I say, you know, then go to places like Limp Mansion and Crescent Hotel and places like that mm-hmm. where you can rent a room, 
take your gear in and have a good time and go home. But don't take private cases because the first thing that you learn when you take a private case is people live there and people want answers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you can't give answers or you don't know what's going on, and, and then if something does happen, the first thing they're going to say is, how do I fix it? How do I get rid or of it? Or you give them the answer that you know? they didn't expect to hear or they want to hear. You know, the, the, sometimes it's well, yeah. Out. And I mean, and if they're not religious, if they, you mm -hmm. know, if they're not the kind of people that they don't believe any kind of a blessing or anything like that's going to work. Right. I mean, eventually you come with, you know, face to face with this ugly fact that, you know, we really are powerless to get rid of ghosts. You know, it's one right. of the things most hunters don't want to say it. But we are. There is no physical way that we can remove a ghost from a premises. <laughs> now, let me ask you we something on, on, on that yeah. um, that case that you were talking about. All right. The one. Uh -huh. Which, by the way, that. that that thing that you said that once you got more into the basically working with the family, you realized that there was there was a darkness. There's, you know, sounds like maybe she was blaming it on the land, but maybe there was already something. There was spiritual turbulence walking with this person already to begin with. Do you think it was a ghost? Do you think it was a non-human entity? Do you think it was an elemental tied to the the land? Mm -hmm. What happened uh, as far as? Uh, or were they in it? Were they were they hoping that you? It almost sounds part of what you were saying. Almost that they wanted you to go in there and validate it for them, but for the sensationalism also. Uh, or did they ever get to the point where they realized, man, we need help or we need to get rid of this? It was you know it was all of the above of what you just said. First off, you, you it, yes, the place was really haunted, and I mm -hmm. believe it was a regular, ordinary, a ghost haunting a, a place. Okay, um, but. As soon as you would start getting, you know, just to put it in ghost hunter way, you know, you would go there and you would spend the night, right? You would mm -hmm. start getting some evidence. You'd interview this lady and she would tell you straight up, you know, we've never believed in ghosts before. We have, we've never been around something like this before. And which just, we think it's scary. Well then, you know, and then I would go in the next room and literally pulled a rug up off the bathroom floor and they had drawn a Ouija board into the bathroom floor. Okay, so there goes our like, credibility. Well, never messed with ghosts before. Yeah. Where did this come from? Yeah. And then they'd make an excuse about it. And then she'd say, oh, well, you know, we're not, we just want to get rid of the ghosts. We're not doing anything for it. This lady brings me a box and it has incense in it that was called exorcism. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So, and, and then I find a whole stack of books that's on conjuring and witchcraft and uh, ghost hunting, okay. which is not to say, you know, there's nothing bad in these books, mm -hmm. but right. you can't leave ignorance with me. Right. And all these things. God, yeah. Like, be honest. Say, hey, you know what? I started reading and dabbling, and now it's gotten away from me. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, at least be be honest, you know. They're, they're... But then she's trying to, yeah. I, I, I've had cases like that myself where, you know, it, it takes them a while to <laughs> finally fess up or, or, you know, you get one person that you take them out by themselves and you talk to them and some, they're you know, like, they kind of like starts talking about things and you're like, okay, you know, like kind of convince them, hey, I know there's, tell me the truth, you know, don't like, I'm not here, I'm not a judge, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just like, tell me the truth. And uh, that's right. when sometimes you hear the, the real backstory to what's been going on so what um 
what happened? You what, what what did they want from you? What was it that they wanted for you to identify it or what? Well, you know, they always told me they just wanted ghosts to go away and them mm-hmm. to be free of this thing. Right. But I think it was more that they just wanted to be put on the map as having a haunted place and, and, yeah. and get, a you know, 15 minutes of fame out of the whole situation, which I never, you know, was right. keen on giving them. Um, okay. In fact, in the book, I use all uh, – in the book, I use all aliases and anonymous names just because I'm not going to give it to them. Right. <laughs> well, no, no. And you know and, what? I, I, I told, I, like, again, I myself have run across. That's why when you said, you know, when you tell people, I said, same thing when you've, I've gone to investigations where you need to break the news where, you know, there's really nothing haunting content going on here. And they look at you like, yes, there is. And you're like, no, there's not. <laughs> you know, it's like you got a leaky pipe or you've got, you know. Sometimes you tell them not yeah. what they want to hear, especially depends on what their what the outcome is that they want. Um, but let me ask you something: at the end of everything, did they? What happened? Whatever was there stayed there. Well, what ended up happening was there was actually a young daughter that was in the house, and I think she was the only one that was genuinely disturbed by all the activity that was happening there. There okay. was real activity happening in this place. And it was, and the main effect that it was having on everyone was it was making everyone paranoid. That every little thing happening in the house was paranormal. Mm-hmm. And to give you a great example, once when I was sat down on the couch and I was interviewing um, the woman of the house, she said, "Well, I know what's here is a demon, and I can tell you because it's watching you right now." And I said, "Really?" And she said, "Yeah, it's watching you right now. It's on the wall right behind you." And I turned around, and there was a fly on the wall. <laughs> a regular old house fly. All right. And yeah. so I kind of I waved it off, and I, I wanted to turn around and go, okay, well, I fixed it. Look, I just knocked it out the door there. Yeah. But, uh, but I, you know, I didn't want to make light of it just because I think that, you know, it was that paranoia. You know, when things yeah. are, were, are happening, and you start, every little thing becomes something scary. You know, right. every creak, every everything you know so that element was happening there but i think at the end of the day she just wanted validation and a little bit of fame and she didn't give a hoot about getting rid of the ghost um i offered to bring a minister in and do a Mm -hmm. blessing sure and i did have an episcopalian minister come in and do Mm -hmm. a blessing for her and he actually had an interesting story after the event because he saw a black mass come out of the floor and go through the ceiling oh and it really frightened him. <laughs> right. Yes. And I bet. I bet. And see, this is the thing. It makes you think like, and I tell somebody, sometimes the effects of especially a dark haunting like this, where if there's any type of malevolence behind it, like you said, maybe they're acting concerned or scared, but in reality, what they really want is they think this is their ticket. But let's say, let's say you left, everybody picks up their stuff and leaves. And they don't realize that the effects of something of a type of dark haunting like this can be very pervasive uh, after the fact. Because everybody thinks of the Hollywood effect 72 hours later, you've got furniture flying in your house. And sometimes it's after everybody leaves, the hoopla dies down, that all these dark things start really coming about. Uh, But you know that thing about crying wolf? And um, I'm not surprised that that Episcopalian uh, priest did see that and uh, got scared. Maybe he thought himself, oh, you know, I'm going to go there and do a blessing and maybe I'm just doing this 
for the sake of peace of mind for the people that live there. But there's nothing really there. Yeah. And he was and he was actually pretty open to me telling him about, you know, what I had come across that I felt was, you know, real activity and what was just kind of horse crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was with me on the whole, you know, he wasn't, you know, you know, poo-pooing it or anything. Right. Um, but I think for sure he never expected to have an experience, you know, in the, the 20 minutes he was going to be in the place. Right. But he called me immediately when it was over <laughs> and told me all about it, you know, and, and everything that happened there. So, right. Uh, I think that kind of validated his own belief in ghosts a little bit, though. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, sometimes... Um, the 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 did she ever once you finished with this case did she ever recontact you on a follow-up or anything as to what happened with him well she actually she got so strung out on drugs she ended up getting kind of uh she had to run away she ended up moving away i think i think she literally ran from the law and the only one that i actually felt bad for was the was the children in the house uh, mm-hmm. because they did seem genuinely disturbed by what was happening there and she was sure. keeping them there and not letting them you know go stay with a relative or something like that That's the last shame. i heard this place it had got abandoned okay. and vandals found out about the ghost stories and they had been in and out and knocked out the windows and just destroyed this almost brand new double wide trailer thing so I, as far as i know it's sitting there empty um and maybe the ghosts are happy now <laughs> You know what? Uh, I, I'm i telling you, th- chances are. I'm not going to say because I wasn't there, but maybe this thing was something that was walking with her, despite w- wanting to say that it was the land, a piece of land. Which, by the way, did she pick it? Was was there a, a prior history to that piece of land? Is that why she brought the trailer there? Or she just, it was something that belonged, like you said, uh, what, to her family? Well, her family had had it since probably the early 1900s, and she, a a weird sidebar to this whole story was, she broke down finally and told me she was convinced that the ghost was a black man who had been killed by her father when she was a child, and that he had a shed out back when there used to be an actual shacky little house that was on that land, and he actually, him and another guy that lived down the road killed a guy out in their shed. Oh my God! And she she told me all this, and I'm like, well, you realize? I mean, you're telling me about a murder. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I, I'm going I'm going to have to report like this to the sheriff's office, like, and I did. I called the sheriff's office and told him the story, and he told me, you know, if I had a dollar for every story I heard about, you know, we're talking about an area of Mississippi during the 1940s. Yeah. yeah that exactly. probably this story was just way too common. Right. And um. And yeah, yeah, and like every and all the people involved are either dead or God knows what. You know, in other words, yeah, it was like yeah, what evidence? Be, did you, exactly, all this could be is, um, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm it could sure be another that, layer for horse crap, or it could be absolutely true. You know, it's just yeah. But you know what? I mean, you, you think know. about it. Also, I mean, yeah, that is very dark. Maybe it's something was in her family. Uh, let me tell you something. As a kid, that's got to be very disturbing to be aware that your parent has done something like this. That's pretty, like, you know, if you're a child, even if this is your parent, come on. It's like, okay. But oh, let sure. me tell you something. I wouldn't be surprised. If there was truth to it, yeah, maybe there. this was. the. But again, you would think I would never, ever, ever want to come back to this piece of land ever again. 
you know, family or not, it's like, sell it, and I'm going somewhere else. Um, you also wrote another book about haunted bridges. And what what is that? Are those like the uh, like the covered bridges or are all these some of the because I know that sometimes bridges have like. Um, how can I say I know some of them are like urban myths, but then others really have some type of actual verifiable history, dark history attached to them. Right. And that was actually the biggest problem. This, this was, that was bridge. Was, I'm sorry. That book was actually requested to be written by my publisher, Llewellyn Publishing. Mm -hmm. They, they kind of wanted a book on haunted bridges all over the country. Right. And when I was sort of compiling all the stories, that was actually one of the first things I ran into was so many of them are very similar. Like almost right. every state has a crybaby bridge mm -hmm. or someone threw a baby overboard and now they, they can right. hear a baby crying at night, that kind of situation. And every state has a bridge where people, usually kids, like to go park their cars and then they say something will push your car across the bridge right. or you'll see handprints on the trunk or something like that. And so I actually used those as sort of chapters. Right. Like I did a whole chapter on crybaby bridges, a whole chapter on... Um, ghosts that are hitchhiking across right, the right, the like the Resurrection Mary. That there's that urban legend about you know picking up the girl on the side of the road, and you know when you get to where she's you know she disappears. Uh, that sure. hitchhiker story. There's different versions of it across the country. You know, a little change here, a little change there, but it's basically the same the same story. Um, Absolutely. When you were, let me ask you, when you were doing that, that case uh, about the devil in the Delta, did anything, did anything affect you personally as an investigator? Uh, no, I don't remember anything other than just the experiences that I had when I was in the place, but I never had anything other than what happened there. Um, there was a brief moment where I was coming home and sort of venting to others about what was happening there and at one point i did think i woke up at night and there was, i thought there was someone standing beside my bed okay and i jumped up and you know turned the lights on and there was nothing there um so you know it could have been nothing and i never saw anything again so i actually i, I probably leaned towards the idea that it was probably nothing but oh. no i think all my experiences with that place was pretty much limited to when i was there Okay. And that was pretty typical ghost stuff, you know, a lot of good EV, not even EVPs, because okay. the stuff that was recorded, we heard it in real time. Okay. You would actually hear, you know, the, the, the rumbles and the booms in the walls. And, you know, one of the guys that was, he, we had a good old boy there with us. And as soon as those walls started rumbling, he <laughs> ran out the door and crawled under the trailer because he wanted to make sure that nobody was underneath there taking the pipes or anything. Yeah, he was like, you know, man, situation. I'm going to bust whoever yeah, this is. Yeah, great. Well, great. Well, you know what? So some and, people, that's... Yeah. They're scared, but it's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Oh, it was, yeah. He was, a, he was like, he, he was like scared and excited to figure out if it was true or not at the same time. <laughs> Well, you know what? That's more than a lot of people do. There's a lot of people that just leave, like forget it. It's like, <laughs> and how about this new book that oh, you're working on, the disembodied? What is that about? Okay, well, see, uh, the Devil in the Delta was sort of the book that I wrote as sort of I wrote that one, like I said, as a cautionary tale mm -hmm. for ghost hunters because right. 
I just think that, you know, a lot of times the ghost hunters don't know really what they're getting into when they take private cases yes. and start diving into the history and happenings and doings, you know, of a private family, you know. Exactly. Now, the new book, The Disembodied, is another family that I'm working with um, in Missouri, uh, a, a nice lady by the name of Kathy Windsor, and the bizarre hauntings that's happening in her place outside of a very small town called Marston, Missouri. Okay. And it has been a heck of a journey working on this case. <laughs> okay. Okay. I take it what the circumstances of the family are different and it... Yeah, this is it, it, it's as almost night and day as you can get. This was okay. this is a grandmother, a young grandmother mm-hmm. who was um her she had her granddaughter kind of dumped on her by her daughter who mm-hmm. has issues. Mm-hmm. But the granddaughter is fine and granddaughter and grandmother have been living in this house for about two or three months when they started noticing really bizarre things happening started as it usually does with you know things moving around um bumps sounds a voice but you think it's a tv or the radio and it kind of came to the big realization was when uh kathy woke up and she heard a male voice speaking really quick and almost a whisper like a coming okay. from her living room. And so she, mm-hmm. she got up thinking, well, there's some, somebody's in my house. Right, yeah. And she goes to her door, and when she gets to the door, the granddaughter is standing across the hall in the doorway as well, because she's heard it. And they both kind of tentatively walk into the living room, and then it stops the second they walk in the room. But this event was almost like, I'm here, notice me, and mm-hmm. things escalated quickly after that. They started uh, having people pull on their covers at night. They'd wake up to see a man standing beside the bed. Um, bizarre sounds of animal sounds coming from outside, almost like somebody was slaughtering animals. Oh, God. Outside the window. That's... Um, uh, then a female ghost starts appearing. And this got me really looking at the area because mm-hmm. I kind of know this area well. My grandparents lived there. Okay. And... I went to the local library, talked to them, managed to track down a fellow who lived when an old farmhouse was on the exact same land. Okay. And this guy had the stories. <laughs> Let okay, me tell great. you. Yes. So what we find out is basically, you know, this is two generations of a ghost story. We got the people who live there now, mm-hmm. and then we have a family who lived there pretty much from the 1920s to the early 1970s. Um, that uh, had a lot of shady doings and uh, a wife who, who ran off, but the, the person I spoke to who is now in his uh, upper 80s mm-hmm. says that he's convinced that his father killed his mother um, and buried her out into, in the field yeah. behind the house. I mean, I think that happens more, more, than often, more often than people think. You know, when back, it's not like now well, they're know, DNA and stuff like that. Well, that's true. And I even asked the librarian, this little town, Marston, is in the middle of nothing, mm-hmm. and, and, and they live outside the town. And I asked her, I said, well, who would have been, you know, the police then? And she, it actually took some research to figure out that the only person that would have even been considered the law during the 1930s in this area would have been the county constable who right. was in New Madrid, which is probably, you know, 25, 30 miles away. Right. And in days when most people were still using horse and buggy, mm-hmm. that's a haul. Yeah. You know, so when people people went missing, you know, if it got reported at all, 
you know, there was probably little to no investigation, of you know. Course. Before, yeah, and the thing was, um, and, and, the, and the reason, because I wrote one of my books, and it was based, when I was doing research, some, something similar to that, and the uh, same thing, there was, um, this was, uh, God, was it Kentucky? I can't remember the state now. Boop. But anyway, it's something similar. They they found a lady. She had uh, a cement blocks. This was back in like in the 1940s, right after World War II. They found her body uh-huh. naked. They had tied like cement blocks and dropped her down a mine shaft that had water collected in it. And it was, you know, once they abandoned the mines that, you know, they just stay there. And apparently some of the water had receded and they found her because her hands... The, the water was very cold, which is one of the things that preserved her. And they, her, her, one of her hands that was floating up finally like was could be seen on the, uh, on the surface of the water. And some boys that were playing in the mines, that's how they found the, the, the body. And the sheriff, you know, he brought it, he brought it out and they had it like trying to, you know, she had very long hair. But she was completely naked, of course. No idea who she was. Uh, they tried to uh, match her up with any missing people in the area. A week later, they bury her in a pauper's grave. Bottom line, eventually, they tracked back to some guy. Uh, no, I take it back. This was in Illinois. Now that I remember, it was in Illinois. They finally, they find her. They were able to get um, fingerprints. And they track her back because back then, if you worked in during World War II in any of the factories, they would take your fingerprints. And that's how eventually how they were able to identify her. And they've tracked her back to her husband. And he says, Mom, I, she had been married. I'm not kidding. This is like, she was a little bit like on the unusual side. She had been married like 10 times. Uh, and he says, well, I thought she had gone back to uh, her family in, uh, I think it was either Louisiana or Florida. She left. So I just she'd left and the thought was always that he was the one that had killed her uh and to make a long story short they they tried to bring him up on charges but they never were able to and i take that back as a matter of fact it was right before world war ii and they say that part of the problem with prosecuting him was that then the war came on and then between you know changes of prosecutors and this and that he never got nothing and it was that was the same story like what, what we were talking about that you could say hey i thought this person left left me i didn't know that right you know this was a plausible excuse where like we, we know what they call poor man's divorce you just up and took your stuff and left but sometimes all you did was leave oh into like uh six feet under the ground is where you went <laughs> so yeah well, when you're describing you that did. that lady that that story that sounds very plausible yeah, well, and the, and the guy who lived there when he was a child mm-hmm. um, really enlightened me on a lot of things. I mean, he was convinced when I told him about the activity that was happening in the new house, he was convinced it was his father. Oh. And I, I'll tell you the clincher of it. One of the weird things that's happening in the Windsor house is they would come home from school and work, and one of them would walk into the room, never both of them, and it would change up which one it was, but one of them would come in the room, and they would find big stick on their bed. Really? Like a, just a stick. Uh-huh. And then they'd say, did you put a stick in here? No, I didn't put a stick in there. Where did the stick come from? How did the stick get in here? 
Right. And when I was talking to the older gentleman who lived there as a child, and I said, well, you know, one of the weird things happening there is they keep finding these damn sticks on the bed. And he just went pale as a sheet. Wow. And I said, what? You know, what, what? And he said his father would get switches to whip them. And if one of them did something wrong, they would come in the room and they would find a switch waiting for them. Oh, my God. Talk about psychological. And it was just one of the ways that he would torture them with beatings. Oh, my God. That's horrible. It, yeah, that's just, it, it, and that was just, wow. I was like, wow, that, that really, you know, filled in some dotted lines there between one, you know, event to another. And there was also, he, he told us, you go out, you know, because he came by and looked at the house. He didn't want to meet the new, the new family. I right. don't know why. I think he was embarrassed. Right. But he told us, uh, if you go out, you know, look around on the ground, there should be a storm cellar out there. And okay. it actually took about six people and, a, and about a half a day to find it. But eventually we came to it and opened it up. And they had a storm cellar slash, uh, where they, I guess they would put like they, they canned food and they would store canned food right, down there. Right, right. situation. And um, once we opened that up, oh. that was when the woman started appearing in the house. I was about to say something happened because of that. Wow. And so I became sort of convinced, you know, like, you know, I wonder if he, if he did kill the mo the mom, uh -huh. did he bury her in the bottom of the of the storm cellar? Yes. Oh, you read my mind. That's exactly. I'm just Yeah, I I, I hate to say it, but yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, it's just, you know, like I say, it's been, you know, and I'm trying to get all the facts because I'm going back and forth. Let me ask you something. So, they, the, the, they, the, when the, when, when you said when the grandmother and the granddaughter, they had just moved. In other words, it wasn't like the grandmother, was she living there before nothing happened? Or it just so happened that when they both moved in soon after is when they started having those experiences? Well, okay. So, the original house was tore down in the early 70s. And mm -hmm. so, the new house built in the 70s so it's got that swanky 70s style going on to it you know right right and um the kathy moved into the place and she would only live there for maybe three or four weeks when her daughter um brought the, her granddaughter to her okay so, so she, she had not been there for very long oh, okay, um, okay when the granddaughter moved in and she works days so and i could see she could get through three or four weeks without you know, and and, that, and actually, she she did notice little things. Right. Like she said she noticed, you know, little booms and knocks, and like she noticed things, you know, were moved, and she just kind of wrote them all off at first. Right. But it wasn't until it escalated to hearing voices and seeing shadowy shapes standing beside the bed and going past the door in the hallway that she started thinking, okay, there's something happening here, you know. Absolutely. No, and the, the reason why I was saying is because I know sometimes people live in properties for years and everything is either quiet, like like you said, very subtle, if if anything. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, there's a triggering event where then they start having all these things go on and you're thinking, okay, what happened? But you're telling me she wasn't there long before her granddaughter joined her. So it wasn't like she had been living there for a while and then stuff started happening. Uh yeah, and, I, and I've never been able to track. I was actually wanting to try to find the people who lived in the house mm -hmm. from the 70s until she moved in right. to see if they had had any experiences. But 
uh, I struck out on that end. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know, that's understandable. Uh, some, that's another thing. You know, sometimes properties, if they if they're a rental at any point, that's it. You know, there's no official records uh, like you do when you've got a sale. You know, there's a deed or anything. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, rental properties they have a swinging door of uh, of people staying there. And you, you never. There's no way to research it unless you happen, like you said, to get a neighbor or somebody. that will tell you, oh yeah, you know, I know the neighbor. I know who he lived there. There's just no way to track yeah. them down. There isn't. There that's isn't. Right. But that's... Well, I will say, I will say this too. One thing about bringing up your subject of, you know, some people living in a house and having experiences, and then others having nothing happen. Right. Is one thing that I have learned through all of this ghost hunting stuff is that. Ghost hunting is an interactive experience. Mm-hmm. And the more that a person interacts with what's happening in the room, the more yes. that the ghost does things back. And that's how you, you can escalate something yes. to, you know, where it's finally, you know, making bigger sounds, moving mm-hmm. things. If someone lives in a place and they don't believe in ghosts, or even worse, they, they don't want to believe in ghosts because of right. religion or whatever, right. they can ignore everything and write it off as nothing. Mm-hmm. And with no energy being given back to a ghost, no interactivity, the ghost just goes dormant. Yes. And then the very next person can move in the exact same place that notices everything that's happening there. They become interested in the, in the events, which gives energy to the ghost. And then suddenly you've got that interactive energy happening. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's more things are happening. And you know, and I've seen these houses where people tell me all these things that's happening, mm-hmm. and now I'll talk to a previous resident. They're like, I lived there 12 years, and I never Nothing saw happened. a thing. Yes. Yes. And, you know, that's why. <laughs> well, yeah, because the truth is that when, like you said, when they have the subtle stuff, they they, they immediately say, oh, that's the wind, that's the... That's a dog. That's a, yeah. They don't pay. They don't. They don't feed it. In other words, they just dismiss it, nope. and they go on. The other person jumps yep, to they're the. Not, they're, uh, not, they're not walking around. Yeah, they're not the ones walking around the house going, "Is anyone here?" Yeah. Can you make a sound for me. Or you that know? noise. That was the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, hey, it's a house settling." Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And they turn over. And they go to sleep. Yeah. That's it. And people don't. And yep. and and um. You know, a lot of times, and, and I've said this, and I know some people because they get, I've had those cases where people get all excited because it's, it's really a ghost. And it's like, you know what, believe it or not, eventually this, even though maybe now at this point it might be very subtle or, you know, innocent or and nine times out of 10, it, it, it goes south for you. It might take a couple of years or maybe even 10 years, but in my experience, it always ends up the humans, if they stay there, because by the way, sometimes you never find out about it, but they actually end up leaving. It starts to ramp up, especially yeah. after doing what you just described, where they feed it. They invited it. They wanted the communication. They gave it. And then all of a sudden it starts taking a dark turn, uh, you know, things like that. Right. Uh, and then it's like, yeah, good luck on pulling out of that nosedive. And then their answer, of course, is to move away. So... Right. And, and, you know, I think actually it can go two ways. It can go the way that you just described where you're really your only recourse is just to move. Yeah. Um, but then you could also be like me and my, my uh, childhood bedroom closet where it becomes <laughs> so blasé right. every day of it that you pay it no mind whatsoever. And so once again, you're sort of 
removing that interactive energy from the event, and right. it just becomes mundane. But but exactly <laughs> like what you said, you didn't pay attention to it. It got to the point that you yeah. it just faded into the background. You weren't waiting there yeah. or saying, hey, ghost, what's your name? Tell me what's your name or anything like this. But there's a lot of people that well, get into this communication and then once they've like, you know, got that thing boiling because now they've, they've been trying to communicate with it. They even got fear depending sure. then. Yeah. Well, I, I think, and, and there's definitely that line you can cross into obsession where oh, yes. you, you're becoming just a little too obsessed with what's happening. Yes. And that, I think that's where you usually can turn a dark corner. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, most people, and I tell you, you know, if you, if, if you ever do work as an investigator, I said most of the investigators that I know that have done this for a while, everybody in one, once in a while, especially if you've had a very um, dark case, for lack of a better word. In other words, there was something there. You take a sabbatical. <laughs> you step back from it. You go, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of time off from this just for a bit because Absolutely. it can bleed over into your regular life. And you don't want that. That's and like right. you said, then there's some people that become obsessive about it and they, or they live there and then they want to like, uh, and, and sometimes I think really that besides when they start getting into that communicating, they start not only communicating with what's there, but they start calling in other stuff. Okay. And then <laughs> that's when it gets really interesting if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. Well, again, that's, you know, that's kind of moving into that obsessive territory where, you're you're obsessing over what's happening, the, the, the things that's happening a little too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's that that can always can kind of go in some bad directions. Um, yes. You know, and for the Windsor family, you know, she decided for her and her granddaughter, you know, the best thing she could do would be, you know, probably to move away. Right. Um, you know, which I totally understand, especially having a young girl that you're raising, yes. and you don't want to raise, you know. But you know, the other part of this too is. I always tell people, you know, one of the reasons why so many times people jump like in the devil in the Delta, where they jump to the idea of some sort of a inhuman presence in the mm -hmm. place is because people still seem to have a hard time understanding that if you have, if you're dealing like in the case of the disembodied, right. a man probably killed his wife and would beat his kids mm -hmm. and a horrible person. Yeah. When you have a horrible person who dies, well, guess what kind of ghost they are? He's a horrible dead guy. <laughs> I mean, they don't suddenly became, they don't suddenly become a great, you know, ghost. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're a horrible spirit. Yes. They're a malevolent spirit, you know, yes. in the place. If you have a loving woman who loved the place so much she stuck around after death, sure, she's probably a nice ghost. She's there just right. to, but she loves the house. She didn't, she never wanted to leave. But you can run into bad ghosts, and you can have bad experiences from ghosts. And I would be the last person to ever fault someone from saying, you know, I think living in a place with a bad ghost is just not for me. <laughs> you know what? And and I applaud what you're this guy, this, you know, as far as this, this lady moving away, because people don't realize the effect that this can have on a child. Uh, for sure. Living there. Because this is what I tell people, you know, sometimes, especially the people that get all excited or or because I, I, as a matter of fact, my last book was called Supernatural Safety, and I talk about stuff that people can do. I said, you know what? Even if you get clergy or, or an investigator, at the end of the day, they're going to pack up their stuff and they're going to go. They got to go home. They got their lives. You're the one that's got to stay yeah. there and handle this or deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis, plus live, you know, go to work, go to school, whatever the case might be.
but I know, and from my own personal experience as an investigator, this can be really hard on kids. Okay. And you know, and you know, on the other foot, on the other side of that too, is also, let's say that the ghost was a religious person when they were alive, and a, mm-hmm. and a minister comes in and does a blessing, and it works. Right. It drives the ghost. It's like, bye, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Being the fact that they're a ghost, <laughs> and you live in the place, you never really know that. You're never going to get that, you know, ding of the bell that confirms, yeah, they left. And if you've had horrible experiences in this yes. place. You're always going to be thinking to yourself, it's just waiting to come back. It's called paranormal PTSD. PTSD. Yeah, that's it. Yes. That's it. Yes. I mean, when when it's successful, nine times out of ten, the best thing you could probably do is still leave. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yeah. And you know what? I've had cases like that where the family, everything's basically quieted down, but it's, but, and and I'm going to say the consideration has always been that when there's kids in the family. And they say, you know what, right. we we realize but that every little noise now, you're like thinking, oh, you know, instead of thinking the normal stuff, your kid is, in other words, you're thinking just to make them happy so that they go to sleep at night and not wonder if every noise they hear is the thing or whatever. I've got to move away because right. of that. Not because they're running okay. away per se. But uh, yeah, people, people, family, and individuals—they suffer from PTSD. It's depending on the level of what happened or how long. Sometimes it's surprising how long people put up with this stuff before they ask oh, for yeah. help. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I've heard of that. That it's like you know, I, I, I can't wait. That that that, especially after, especially if they've tried for some time to get rid of it. And nothing had worked, and finally they're able to dislodge it, whatever it is that they ended up doing. That I want to say, you can't help it. You're always waiting. Is any minute is that thing gonna come back? That's it. Yeah, and you you could because they're you're never gonna get that 100% confirmation that exactly. it's over. You know. Right. Well, because you can't see it like a tangible thing that it's you know you couldn't see it to begin with, as in other words. But yeah. Uh, I, I, I've, I've seen that happen. To, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to explain to someone, you know, that's been, you know, fed a steady diet of, you know, ghost television and horror movies. Yes, <laughs> yes, and and, you know, and I like tell I say, everybody the the the. And nowadays, you know, there's so many because back, you know, back in the like you said, back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I want to say, you know, a lot of the ghost stuff was, you know. I mean, I mean, the worst thing that came out was when The Exorcist came out in the '70s, and all these innocent moviegoers got them, you know, got shocked. <laughs> but besides that, the, the ghost right. shows were very, like you said, in search of and uh, uh, sightings. You know, it was very, you know, historical places. It wasn't really meant to like, right. you know, and it was usually it wasn't that like that story about what you just described was the setting for maybe who's haunting that place. Which is very dark, by the way, when you think about it. Uh, as far sure. as you know, a family and and then you know the people that live there, and like you said, that once they're dead, that doesn't make them any better. Sometimes it even makes it even worse. You know, a dark, uh, dark haunting. Like you said, it doesn't have to be demonic or non-human. It's just a dark spirit, as in the mind, the mentality, the awareness that's there. Uh, sure, that, absolutely. Yeah, people that um, and 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 I say it, you know. 
and, and I'm glad you brought up that point, Rich, because, you know, I've got an investigation and you hear people, oh, like, because they get a bad feeling and they immediately jump to the conclusion right. that it's non-human. And I say, you know what? Haven't you ever met somebody that you really felt like, man, I need to get away from this person. This is a bad person because they make you feel uncomfortable. Oh. I go now take that person and make him dead in a ghost. And basically you're reacting the same right. way that you would because you're around a person that maybe is psychopathic or sociopathic and your alarm bells are going off your instincts. Well, he's got the same characteristics as a dead guy. You just can't see it or see him that, you know, embodied, but you still get that, that your alarm, your, your internal, uh, normal person, alarm bells are going off saying, uh, you know what, you need to get out of here or you feel uncomfortable or you feel that sense of dread, that kind of deal, but it's still a human spirit. Sure. I mean, once a bully, always a bully. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they're not going to magically become nice, you know, now that they're dead and sticking around. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. Anyway, like Rick, that people sometimes, like I said, sometimes they jump to that D word, which I think is overused too quickly, much too quickly. That's much rarer yeah. than people could, they, the people are aware of. Uh, but anyway. It is, but it's a disservice. It's, it's a disservice on both ends because it, it, it doesn't help with the ghost cases and it doesn't help, you know, in the cases where that could possibly be happening for real. Because it trivializes it. Of course it does. Of course it does. Let me ask you, when is the book, this sounds like a really fascinating book, do you have an idea, uh, a release date for it? I would rec. Uh, usually it's about, a, it's about a four or five month turnaround, so I would probably guess early spring. Uh, the Disembodied? Yes. Um, like I said, I'm wrapping it up now, so I would probably see it coming out sometime early next year. Early next year. Okay. All right. And like sure. I said, I'm going to uh, include a link to your websites on the credits of the show. But if, for the podcast listeners, if you want to give out your website addresses again, so people can follow up. Yeah, with say, you. I mean for the for the ghost for the ghost stuff, Paranormal Incorporated, all spelled out. dot com. Mm -hmm. There's stuff on there from Devil in the Delta. There's case stuff. You can listen to EVPs. You can watch videos. All kinds of different things on there. Perfect. Great. Fantastic. Rich, I want to thank you so much. It has been absolutely fascinating to speak to you, and I want to wish you the best of luck on all of your projects. The same to you, and I'll come on any time. Just give me a shout. I would love to. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wasn't he an interesting guest? <laughs> See? And I'm glad he brought that up about, because I've talked about it before that people experience these dark hauntings and they immediately think it's a demon and it's not it's not there's a lot of dark human beings psychopaths sociopaths people that have done really horrible things when they were alive and he made a very good point i've talked about it before when these people die and they hang out for whatever reason they're afraid they, they just they are the same person they were they the the the, the, the darkness that's with them that made them a horrible human being uh is still there the characteristics are still there or like he said this is a person let's let's um let's assume it's true the story about that he might have killed and buried his wife in uh in a root cellar and used to psychologically terrorize his kids by putting out a switch and um you know and then beating them Okay. 
that you know do do you really think that this person overall they were they were a horrible per in other words if you think that he this type of personality only specifically um picked on his wife and his kids no this person probably tried to victimize anything and anybody it could animals other people that it could you know and you listen to it there's a psychopathic flavor to it which is because what they thrive on is control and i thought it was kind of interesting if you go with that story where once they opened up that cellar that they located it is when they started seeing this woman's ghost maybe she her thing was you know every nobody knew the real the real story of what happened to me uh maybe he even told who knows maybe he of course tell everybody she ran away told even maybe her kids you know she ran away even though they might have suspected differently and this was her one chance of saying that's not what really happened i was killed and he told everybody i ran away and he never paid the price for that or my children thought i left them i abandoned them and i didn't so i mean there's a lot of um and and again this is like he said this this um this location you know the actual structure was demolished and something was raised in it in the 1970s and this comes back to people that have these houses that let's say if you were able to only go back to the structure that was built in the 70s and nothing happened just regular people lived moved away nothing ugly nothing weird that's when the research kind of leads you to the right direction which is something that happens on the land in other words the fabric of what's there even though that physical structure is no longer there it's bled into the ground those heavy emotions especially when you're talking that maybe this family lived there for years and years and years and god knows what took place there if this is what the neighbors knew about there was things maybe that nobody knew about uh like he said the closest law was miles and miles and miles away which means you could just do just about anything and unless they caught you uh actually pulling the trigger or doing the deed yeah and i hate to say it, this was also this is the time where a lot of times uh citizens would take the law into their own hands sometimes for the better or for the worse because if they were in a rural area where you had to wait for the law to show up it was like hey we, we need to address this and sometimes it had it was well deserved and other times it had horrible results that's basically what you're talking about is being a vigil ante but if you don't think that that story played out countless times all across the country especially like i said in these uh rural areas where maybe they were miles even from a town and uh there was nobody there to you know step in and say you know deal with a personality like this and who is going to say no no that's not true you know let's say uh 
you kill your wife, but nobody really realizes she's missing because, God, she would go for days and days and maybe not be seen. And what if a neighbor says things, man, you know, I haven't seen, let's call her Mabel. I haven't seen Mabel in a few weeks. Hmm. If this guy's a real piece of work, which it sounded like he was, you don't think maybe the neighbors might have said, man, there's something up, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to get in this guy's crosshairs. Next thing I know, I might be having a problem with him. That happened quite a lot. As a matter of fact, in that book that I wrote called The Lady in the Blue Kimono, which talks about all these different types of murders, there was one of the stories, and by the way, these are all verified stories. One of them was, um, this happened in the, in the Ozarks, and Lake of the Ozarks, and they found two mutilated women's bodies dumped there. And they, they, they were mutilated in such a way so that they would not be identified. Like, they had like one, the head cut off, the other one part of the head. Even though they originally, after examination, they had been hit with a uh, shotgun. After the fact, they were mutilated trying to disguise their identity. Which up to a, up to a certain point worked because... Uh, they were taken, I think it was to Columbia University or something, and they were kept, they were trying to find out who these women were. And of course, the police, what, what do they do? This happened, I want to say, in the 1930s. First thing they do, of course, is look for missing people report. Is there anybody, two women, that are reported missing? There was no reports. Finally, this man contacts the police and says, hey, you know what? I haven't heard from my stepmom. Apparently, he had a really good relationship with his stepmother. I haven't heard from my stepmother for like weeks. Uh, and, I, and I heard you guys found a couple of women. Turns out this was like their first lead. And sure enough, they were able to identify them. They go back to the farm. And it was a daughter and a mother who lived with the daughter's husband on this farmhouse. Now, what do you think he says when the police come to him and he goes, oh no, they're visiting a family in Florida and Texas. Then they go off like that every once in a while and then I don't hear from them. Sometimes they don't even tell me who they're visiting in these states. So they're over there. They're not dead. They're Go check it out. They're going to find them. Okay. My point being, I mean, eventually the story is it got proven that he did kill them. Uh, and... He did go to jail. He did die in jail. He appealed it and everything. But if it wasn't for the fact that the older woman's uh, stepson contacted, like two or three months later, contacted the police and said, I haven't heard from my stepmother. This is really unusual for her. Oh, and then, by the way, then after that, they got other people, like they got a hold of their dog. But th in other words, th they could only work this back to verify who these women were once they kind of had an idea who they were. In other words, they went back to doctors, like when the lady had been, um, once had an operation for gallbladder and there was a visiting nurse who had come to her and they contacted the doctor and the visiting nurse. And they said, look, these are the particulars. She has no head, but these are, they, they were able to correspond things on her body, like her scarring of the surgery and other things about her body 
that they kind of knew for sure. But still, if it wasn't for the fact that this one man contacted, this murder would have remained a, a mystery. Nobody would have gone to jail for it. And that would have been the end of that. Because this guy was saying, oh no, they, they go off and visit their family in these other states and they're gone for months. And, and supposedly, the, believe it or not, this was the reason why he ultimately killed them was because they would leave and nobody was there taking care of him. And apparently the, the wife had wanted to divorce him more than once because they, they, I guess they had a rocky marriage. And uh, she had, as a matter of fact, she had put in a divorce proceedings only a few months before she, then she withdrew it. But she had told somebody, well, the next time he's not going to find me, I guess maybe he like hunted her down and convinced her to come back. So already that was, and he just got fed up and he killed them both. And uh, I think he died in uh, 1978. And he appealed it and everything. And But yeah, uh, that, that scenario that you might think, well, that's so over the top of, you know, killing somebody and nobody knows about it. That's and or, or saying, yeah, that person, they just took off. They left or they ran off with the lover. Yeah, sometimes that happened. But a lot of times this was a really easy way to get out from being charged with murder. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good ghost stories. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of pieces of land that people, they build structures on. And then they got some really weird and dark hauntings and they look at the actual history of the structure they can't come up but it's what happened on that land okay that's really the true origin of the paranormal events that are taking place so yeah and sometimes it's really impossible to know but nine times out of ten let's face it somebody buries a body somewhere they're not going to put up a marker and say by the way this is the place you know where i dumped that body or this was my dumping ground or i did away with my wife or my husband or my kid or my this and this is where i buried them now on the contrary on the contrary but anyway guys i urge you to check out rich's uh, website maybe uh now after the new year when that new book comes out disembodied it sounds like a very interesting case and uh, thank you very much for being part of my audience and coming back every week. I've got a lot of great show guests coming on, a lot of interesting things. And uh, thank you so very much for coming back again and again. Take care.